Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the podcast, we have an exit interview. So we have one of our whalers, Carisha Martinez, who you may know, you should know if you listen to, I don't know, more than one of these podcasts, has been a co-host, has been working on our ads team, has gone up the learning curve in so many different areas. Carisha, welcome. Goodbye. What the heck? (laughs) Thanks. It definitely feels weird being on like the other side of the podcast. I feel like I'm normally like, hey, I have my little script and then I ask the question. So it's a little different this time where I'll be answering. Um, that's right. I'll be asking the questions. Uh, so first off, how long have you been at Whole Whale? You know, where were you before that? Yeah. So I always say Whole Whale was like my big, my first big girl job. I started at Whole Whale in September of 2019, right after I graduated college as an advertising fellow. Um, I also always say that I feel like I started really, really green. I was just joking uh, with Megan Ann Halt yesterday about how terrible I think my interview project was. Um, I kind of did a lot of things that weren't related to ads. I like Photoshopped a picture of a whale. And I really thought, you know, like, this is what's going to get me the job. Um, I was really proud of it. You should look it up one day. It's really bad. But um, that's, my very beginnings. Uh, I was a fellow for about four months. And then in January of 2020, I started full time as a digital advertising associate. Um, And then January of 2021, I was promoted to senior marketing associate. So um, about two years, I'd say in September, fully, and then uh, two years full time in January 2022. For those that um, are not familiar, how does, um, what is the whole whale fellow program? What is that different than a full-time position? Yeah. So the fellow program, the fellowship program, I think is really, really great. It's a four month program. Um, You work kind of Monday to Thursday and then ease your way into Monday to Friday. But I think it's a really great learning opportunity for whatever kind of service or pod department that you apply to. So I was in the advertising department um, or pod. And I think it provides a really, really great learning opportunity to learn really the basics of advertising or analytics or email or SEO or any of those things. I started in September and then I'd say probably by October or early November, I was in front of clients like presenting on social media strategy. Um, With the help of Megan Daly, I was able to create spend planners and optimize ads and do search ads. Um, So a pretty steep learning curve. Um, I definitely made a few mistakes, but um, again, I can't emphasize enough that it's a really great learning opportunity. And I don't think I would have learned as much if I started full time as opposed to a fellow. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, we started that program. Actually, you were, I believe, our first class of fellows. So I was sort of watching from afar and up close and being like, I think this will work. This will probably work. But it was <laughs> it's uniquely different, I would say, than a part-time position with, uh, you know, who knows what kind of promise for continued work. You get different applicants and there's an assumption of initial knowledge versus I think there's something communicated when you say the word fellowship and make it clear that, look, part of this is paying you to learn. We're aware that you don't have the fundamental understanding of digital advertising, analytics, and so on. 
Would you, uh, would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. It was a really full circle moment for me when I started to hire and screen fellows earlier this year. Um, and like, I couldn't emphasize to them enough, like it's a-okay that maybe you ran your clubs, college club social media for a little bit. Like that is a-okay. That's a really great jumping point. Um, so yeah, definitely a lot of learning um, and getting paid for it is very nice too. <laughs> I think those are interesting moments where you find just like you just said yourself on the other side of the interview coin on the other side of the screen, the microphone, whatever it is. Can you tell me a little bit about what your like biggest takeaway and insight was the first time you felt yourself screening somebody having that interview, actual interview, like I'm going to probably decide whether or not you get this job what your biggest takeaway was comparing that back to your own interviews? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think hiring for a fellow or an intern or something very entry level requires a different kind of skill and people perception than perhaps maybe a uh, like manager or maybe director level person where you can look really just at the experience that they have and kind of determine whether or not they would be a good fit or have the right experience for the position that you're trying to fill. I feel like with the fellowship in particular, it was a lot harder to gauge whether or not somebody would be a good fit for the program because it's really all about your hunger and willingness to learn. Our screeners are about 15, 20, maybe even half an hour at times. And that's not a lot of time to gauge someone's like willingness or hunger to learn. And I think we try to morph our questions to get as much information as possible. But um, I'd say the biggest takeaway that I felt I saw with our fellows and that I could kind of relate to myself is that the people who really succeed are the ones who are really excited to dive in, who are excited to, you know, kind of do the dirty work, get their hands dirty and really want to learn everything and soak things up like a sponge. Um, and our current fellows, I think we do have that. I think they're, I'm really excited for them. Yeah. Hello fellows. We just hired three of them. We, uh, we started that program in, in January and yeah, we made those off. Oh, in Q1, I'll say, I <laughs> made that offer recently. And it's exciting. Um, I, I like that we have now a pipeline for bringing people on that just don't have that initial experience, but have that that passion and interest for, for learning. And that is an ongoing ethos here uh, that people realize, oh, I, I mean, one of the funny things I hear is like, I, thought, I knew you all were, you know, I hear this from people we hire. I knew you all were serious about like learning and stuff, but geez, you really push it when you're, when you're here day to day all the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. The, the correct answer is yes. We're actually serious about this. Yeah, we really are. <laughs> so you were working at Whole Whale during a time called the pandemic. And I feel like you had this really interesting first job experience where you started in an office, if I still recall, you were in an office, one of those things with four walls and, and people used to get together, kids, and they listen to us, believe me. And then you went full remote. Can you talk about that shift and, and what you saw from where you sat um, at Whole and, and what kind of changed? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we went full remote in March 2021, just like everybody else did. Um, 2020, yes. March 2020. 2020. Oh my God. What year is it? <laughs> I blacked out. What happened? What happened? It's all a blur now. Um, 
but no, it's not. I remember it very clearly. I remember um, everybody was saying that we were going to come back in two weeks, but I had the foresight to take my second monitor and everybody was like, Krisha, how are you going to take that? I lived in New Jersey at the time. They're like, how are you going to take it so far? You're going to have to just bring it back later. And I was like, okay, well, you know, when we have to come back later, then I'll, I'll take that L when we get there. And lo and behold, everybody had to go back a couple months later to go get their screens and anything else that they needed. But I had the foresight. I knew we were going to be at home for a very long time. Um, not only having my monitor made it a really or a really easy transition, um, but we also kind of had processes in place that made working remotely pretty easy. George, you and Megan work remote, so we we're already kind of used to having our team um, in a different time zone in a different place. Um, we use Zoom all the time. Um, I remember when we were doing podcasts, we would um, I would have to introduce the program Zoom to people <laughs> because they didn't know what it was and have them download it. Um, we also worked from home on Friday. So we're already kind of used to being at home, understanding what a work home um, setup is. And I think the transition was pretty seamless. I feel like I didn't really skip a beat when we started working from home. I woke up on Monday. I did have to figure out a good working place. I moved around a lot. I was in like an office. I was in a dining room. Eventually, I settled on my bedroom. Um, if you've been on a Zoom call with me, you probably remember my blue walls <laughs> and my bed in the background. Um, but I feel like it was pretty seamless. And I think we're still doing a really great job, especially um, as we onboard a lot new, a lot more new employees, um, having a virtual onboarding process, still keeping our BOCs in chat, still having touch bases as we need them, debriefs and things like that. I feel like we're able to adapt pretty seamlessly um, to a more virtual world. For those not familiar, what is a BOC? A beverage of choice and a previous life, we were able to have a drink or get some coffee, but now you kind of just throw BOC on the calendar. I still have my coffee at hand usually when we have a BOC, but um, in the before times, <laughs> we would go out for a walk maybe. If you can, what do you think we may have lost by moving remote? What we may have lost... Um, I think what we may have lost, at least in terms of the newer people, is kind of getting to know them a little bit better and a little bit more quickly, I would say. I think um, when I was in the office, I was able to, you know, like ask my manager for a question really quickly if I had one without, you know, going through the anxiety of Slack or making sure that my question is worded all the way properly on Slack or um maybe going out for lunch. I know uh, we started a lunch channel on Slack where we were able to ask people if we wanted to go out, you know, I'm going to go get X, Y, and Z and kind of have those bonding moments. Um, but I think even in those moments, it has required us to go a little bit of an extra step to get to know people. And I think that extra step creates an even stronger bond than maybe just asking somebody in the office because it takes a lot more effort to get to know people. So uh, going through people's calendars, seeing what they have going on on their plate to set up a BOC, or um, maybe slacking somebody to say, hey, how are you doing? How's your workload going? Can I help you with anything? Because um, I know you just got back from vacation, or I know you weren't feeling too well yesterday. Um, how are you doing? So even though it might be a little bit of an extra step, or maybe a half step in getting to know people, I think that creates uh, a stronger bond virtually um, that I don't think we might have had in person. Yeah. It's tough for me to have looked at it. I mean, I, as you mentioned, have been working remotely. For those who don't know, I work 
out of California and have done so for four years because I love my wife very much. And so there was a moment where I was working with the team in an office in New York, in Brooklyn, where our office used to be, and I had to leave. And in order to do that, I was like, you know what, we're just going to make it work. It's not ideal, but you, uh, you sort of you go to work with uh, what you have. And I think, yeah, we were ready. We were more ready than most for it. I still think we lost something. And we're starting now. And I don't know if other organizations listening to this are beginning to see this, but starting now to pay for the costs of what happened, I think, as a result of, of going remote and not being able to be closer to each other, understand where we are coming from, comes to culture. It may show up in retention. Speaking of which, narrative segue, insert here. Carisha, what led to your decision to move on from Whole Whale? after, you know, coming up on two years? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think at this point, I think I was just kind of ready for a new adventure, at least in terms of advertising. So my new role um, is diving a lot more specifically into advertising um, and specifically LinkedIn ads, which I think is a very, is on the opposite spectrum <laughs> of the kind of work that I do here. So I feel like I do a lot of different things here, have my hand in a lot of different pots. And now my next adventure is kind of just getting very, very specific into one kind of platform, one kind of idea. Um, but I think I was just ready for, for another adventure and to kind of just expand my expertise um, and do maybe a different kind of advertising, um, not nonprofit advertising. It's the cold world of computers, but um, <laughs> so you're moving on to a larger agency that works in like the B2B space and, yeah. you know, they have offices across the the, the good world instead of the, the good Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, definitely a new adventure. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little nervous um, to kind of meet so many new people, um, learn about them, um, and kind of take on different programs and systems that um, I really don't know about. Yeah, well, you can come back and tell us everything that we've been doing uh, wrong with LinkedIn ads. <laughs> but it's true, though. You know, I think the nature of a smaller firm, and this is important for anyone choosing to work somewhere, a smaller firm, a smaller nonprofit, a smaller company, small being defined by, we'll say, over under 30 people mm -hmm. to make it simple. You're going to be touching a lot more projects. You're going to be asked to say, hey, can you go figure this out? And the larger you go, as a rule, you end up in these sort of like, no, no, you are going to become an, a precise expert at exactly this. And we need you to execute on this point. Um, and it's really, you know, up to people who are crafting their career narratives and, and journeys. And, you know, part of me, there are two parts of me. Well, there's a lot of parts of me, but the two annoying parts. There's one that's, you know, obviously super frustrated that we're losing you. Uh, I think a little early, if I'm, if I'm being truly honest with myself, a little early. Uh, and two, like really proud that, frankly, you started as a fellow with no advertising experience. At all. <laughs> now you are on your way. I've been hired by a very large multinational organization around digital advertising. I mean, I'm part of me is very proud of that. And like, you know, I think that has to be an outcome. And this assumption that in my mind, every single person has to stay for like, 
three to five years, uh, otherwise it's a failure, I might have to let go of it. I probably won't. But what what do you say to the two sides, <laughs> two sides of my head yelling at each other right now? Yeah, I think, um, I hear you. I think that when I had started applying to different jobs, what was really exciting is that because I did a lot of different things, I kind of had my pick of the litter when it came to what position I wanted to do next. So, and be taking seri- be taken seriously in those positions. So not only paid social, but also paid search, which I realized is two different departments, <laughs> which is very odd to me. Um, also like HR kind of things, also project management kind of things. Um, And it was really exciting to say, I have all of these skills and more to be able to do this job as well as anybody else there. Um, So I think you should be proud in that sense, right? I think Howell does a really great job of preparing people um, to do any kind of job that they want and gives people the freedom to do anything or everything that they're interested in. At least I feel like I was able to, (laughs) but maybe I'm just a little pushy. So yeah, I can't, I don't think I can speak to the frustrated side too much. I think um, Howell or any organization that you start the way that you did from the ground up kind of feels like your own baby in a way, right? I know you have kids, but I think Howell might be a baby in a different sense or a child in a different sense. And maybe when um, it's not growing the way that you wanted or had envisioned or kind of on the path that you envisioned for your child, it can be a little disheartening, but um, I think Howell is still on a really, really great path, um, especially with some of the clients that we're prospecting right now. Yeah. Well, that is interesting that, and it makes me feel good that, you know, when you do enter the job market and it's something that we are, you know, we are intentional about here. Um, we don't randomly throw away, throw around titles. We don't call everybody. All right, you're all vice presidents. And then you go out in the real world and be like, I'm the vice president of, and you're like, you know what, you got, Mm-hmm. One year experience doing this, you're the VP of, you know, squad all like you're, uh, you're, and we're trying to make sure we map, um, our, our experiences, our training, our titles and roles to things that actually will represent in the real world. And, you know, it's good to hear that you felt confident showing up to, you know, those interviews and were able to take that experience and say like, no, I got my head around this. So I see what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, Funnily enough, my new title is also a senior associate. So you're really one-to-one here. <laughs> I don't know, Karisha. I feel like you should have negotiated for hire. i been like, I've been a senior associate. What's the next level? <laughs> <laughs> missed, missed a chance. Could have, could have leveled up. I mean, it's true, though. A lot of folks do transfer jobs for the chance to level up um, yeah. in, in title. And they realize it. And I think that's why, you know, the, this rising generation, the like over under is like 17 jobs for, for folks moving their, through their career. And, you know, part of that makes sense because of the way that, you know, the game is, is set up and how competitive it is. But I am, I'm, I have no doubt you're going to succeed and it's exciting. And I'm glad we could have like a footnote in here and just, you know, come back and, and offer trainings to us. How about that? You can't get rid of me, George. I already told Christina when she yeah. plans parties, she has my email, she has my number. Party thrower. I'll show up. <laughs> so talk to me about what advice you'd have for maybe new whalers, young whalers, <laughs> working at Whole Whale and like sort of the Carisha's survival guide to success. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
I would say there are a couple things that I think would make somebody pretty successful here. I think one, we don't say it enough, but like a real hunger or willingness to learn. I think people really appreciate when you ask questions or maybe ask maybe why is this strategy the way that it is or why are you making this decision? Not in a way to undermine people, but really in a way to gauge an understanding of um, our practices and strategy here that I think is really fundamental to marketing and advertising. I'd also say, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. (laughs) I think maybe during my career here, I've been a little pushy in the things that I wanted. Um, So I wanted to go to a conference and I was able to do that. I wanted to go on the podcast. I was able to do that. Um, I wanted to do some DEI stuff. I was able to do that. Um, So really anything that you are interested in, want to gain more experience in, um, I'd say ask for it. I think the worst thing that anything can happen is somebody says no. Um, But then eventually I think you'll find your way to doing that work anyway. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think those would be my two biggest things. I think Hoel sets people up to succeed really, really well. Um, So I don't think that you would really, you would really have to try hard to fail here. (laughs) You would really, that would have to be the goal, I think. Um, But I think it's a really great support system um, that gives you an opportunity to really uh, expand your expertise tenfold. Exactly. Uh, I think that's just solid advice. And hopefully no matter where you go, you know, you don't get what you don't ask for. And the very worst, it's like, if you don't get a no, it's not like just it's done, not yet. Yeah. What needs to happen? Exactly. <laughs> what needs to happen? Uh, ooh, what advice do you have for me uh, as I look at all of the next four years? Damn, George, that's a good question. Um, all of those. What advice do you have for yourself? What advice do I have for you? Um, I don't know. I'd say maybe don't be afraid to expand into things that you're a little scared to expand into. I know you famously said that you would never do like fundraising or you would never do like advertising. And I feel like all of our clients ask for those things and we do them pretty well. Um, So maybe not being scared or afraid to expand to things that, I don't know, maybe you don't think is the best idea or you feel like you would never do. Yeah. The thing is, so the, basically the, the, barometer should be if um if i'm excited about it yeah probably not that but if it's like no i'll never do that i should double down and go figure out why am i saying i'll never do that and the joke here is that like i don't know something like seven years ago now i'd claimed we never would do fundraising and i was like that's just too much of an opportunity for applying analytics and strategy and for that outcome yeah i had this i had my mindset i think around naively i'd say that the opportunity of data and technology, this amazing lever with which you could use to, you know, move incredible amounts of impact was just being sort of funneled and thrown away in my old mindset, thrown away in the pursuit of getting yet another donor, as opposed to what if I could 10x the amount of people you could reach with the proper application of SMS with mm-hmm you know, intelligent use of analytics and automated marketing flows that could nurture people and educate them? What if I could make that one uh, field worker you have suddenly work with the ability of 100 people? And that's where I was like trying to initially push. 
However, there's a certain gravity and a certain fundamental truth that uh, non-for-profits are actually obsessed with money. And they have to be. They have to be to survive. They have to figure out that engine. And that engine is unique and it's necessary. And if that engine goes off, we live in the real world. No engine, no impact. And so we kind of, you know, turned around on it and said, let's apply our approach to digital advertising. Now you can find my silly face on such YouTube videos as (laughs) fundraising ideas for this or that. Yeah, I think it's a a point though, Carisha, right? Um, And maybe turns to you as well of saying like, you're a little nervous about what you're about to go tackle. And that's a good sign. It's a good indicator. I mean, sometimes you're nervous because there's a lion outside of your den. Don't get eaten by a lion. Right. A little bit of that fear can be a good indicator. Definitely. What I'm actually hearing is we should just triple down on NFTs, stop all our work, and just go full (laughs) crypto. That's what I'm actually hearing here. That's the only thing you'll be offering our nonprofit clients now is just a custom NFT, but within reason, of course. They'll all be whole whale NFTs. (laughs) Oh, my. Well, this became productive. Okay. So, Parisha, are you ready for rapid fire? Yeah, it's my favorite part. Favorite part. All right. What is one tech tool or website that you have started using in the last year? Calendly is really a lifesaver. The amount of times that I've tried to like look at my calendar and mark out hours or half hours to send to people when I can just send my Calendly and then I feel like I have my own virtual assistant. <laughs> what tech issues are you currently battling with? Um, I don't know if it's a tech issue, but I'm really... Um, battling with Facebook and some rejected ads. I don't know why, I don't know how, but that's an issue that I'm battling with currently and I feel like we'll always be battling. What is coming in the next year that has you the most excited? Um, My new job. (laughs) I feel like that was an easy one. Some of these are gimmies, I will say that. (laughs) I don't know who wrote them, but I'll tell you what. Talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now. Um, let me think. I made quite a few, I'd say, but um, uh, I guess like crisis management with clients. Um, there have been times where I've made like a mistake on a deliverable or maybe in an ad um, build or something along those lines. Um, and just, you know, double, triple checking my work, making sure that it's what the client wants um, and reassuring the client that, hey, we caught this mistake, full transparency. This was like a human error, um, but here's how we can fix it. And here's how we'll make sure that this mistake doesn't happen again. Um, and that kind of formula has really helped me um, and kind of those bigger mistakes that I made earlier on, but it's a really good formula for even smaller ones um, that happen from time to time. Do you believe nonprofits can successfully go out of business? Um, I do. This is my favorite question, and I've heard a lot of different answers. But I do think nonprofits can successfully go out of business, and I think that'll only happen when the government decides to become responsible for its citizens. If I were to throw you in the hot tub time machine back to the beginning of your work, what advice would you give yourself? The world doesn't end because you made a mistake (laughs) and that whole world won't fire you. (laughs) 
the number of times that you think they will, um, it'll be a-okay. Yeah, just a quick note on the mistakes. I think it is probably the biggest mindset of new employees coming in that you're, you're walking on eggshells and you can't make a mistake. The way I view it is, you know, as long as the mistake didn't crumble the company, which would be bad, there are level, like, let's, let's not be a naive, if you made mistakes in the order of hundreds of thousands of dollars and you ruined us, that wouldn't be good. So let's be realistic. But every time someone makes a mistake, it is as though experience delivered the most valuable lesson that could ever be taught. No one learns faster than when they make an error. No one will work harder to not make that mistake again, assuming they have a, you know, a sound mind and body of, you know, understanding the, the repercussions. Like no one's like more valuable at that point than someone who's made that mistake. So each time we sort of can get away with a mistake that doesn't sink the ship, doesn't ruin and hurt a client, let's be honest. That's you just became that much more valuable. And so it's just a completely different mindset. And it's, you know, it, it's not, it's not surprising to me that folks starting their first jobs are afraid of making mistakes because one, not every culture is like that. Not every uh, manager is like that. Mm-hmm. However, here, hopefully people can realize that through demonstration that that that's truly how I view it. I'm like, well, look at that valuable learning. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> deal it doesn't cost us too much Anyway, is it if i gave you a magical wand to wave across the industry what would it do and what would it do um i think it would give all nonprofits a base grant of maybe like five hundred thousand dollars to just do what they need to do and then anything extra is great <laughs> What is something you think you should stop doing? Um, I would say using a lot of filler words, but words that kind of take away from your meaning. A lot of times I'll use maybe or just or around that idea or like, and I feel like it takes away from my ideas that I have that I think are pretty good. Um, so that's something that I, I want to do. Um, sound a little more confident i think and certainly have gone a long way on the podcast i remember giving you like feedback after the fact being like all right i removed (laughs) 17 ums and like let's talk about this way you're interacting and uh, i think it was i i think it was helpful it was better i had to listen to myself a lot but it was the worst (laughs) the absolute worst i don't recommend it unless you care about getting better in which case i recommend it all right. How did you get started in the social impact sector? Um, well, I was a part of a nonprofit. I'm a part of Prep for Prep, um, which is a nonprofit that takes um, a lot of really bright inner city and low income students of color, kind of puts them through this 14 month program and places them in the kind of independent schools within New York City and then also boarding schools around the area. So that's when I really um became passionate about like nonprofits because I realized just how much this nonprofit changed the trajectory of my life. And so since then, um, I've kind of done a lot of like social impact and social justice work. And when I found Howell, I felt like it was a really great next step in the things that I was really passionate about. 
What advice did your parents give you that you either followed or didn't? My mom always tells me that closed mouths don't get fed. And I really didn't believe her. I thought people will see, you know, that these are the things that I need or the things that I want. And um, that's not true. (laughs) You're not going to get the things that you want or you need unless you ask. So that's a piece of advice that I always follow. And the worst people can say is no. What advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? That's a good question because I feel like I was just a college grad looking to enter the social impact sector, but I would say don't be afraid to apply to jobs that are kind of the dirty work of things. I think especially maybe younger generations um, are kind of looking for jobs that are pretty cushy or uh, isn't always or are pretty glossy or glamorous or things like that which I think the nonprofit industry can be. But I think oftentimes to really understand the impact of the nonprofits, um, getting to understand people and doing kind of nitty gritty work is always helpful in understanding the full kind of, um, the full cycle of how your work impacts no matter what, what part of the organization you're in. What's your favorite question to ask? How did you do things before? I'm always interested in kind of the past patterns um, and seeing what led to this or kind of causation and correlation um, and the ways that you can learn from the past to kind of improve your future, whether it's ad strategy or hiring or the podcast or anything. I think always looking at the past is a really great way to inform the future. Speaking of the future, where do you think OL will be in four years? I think Hoel will be in a really great place. Like I said, I think we're looking at a lot of really interesting clients um, and we're growing a lot, which is really exciting. So I see Hoel at least at 30 people uh, still in Brooklyn, maybe in an office or maybe like a hybrid situation. um, Because I don't think anybody is really interested in going to the office 24 or eight, five, five days a week, eight hours a day. Um, so yeah, just growing and growing and taking on more clients and maybe doing some new things that we don't do right now. All right, Carisha, how do people find you? How do people help you? Yeah. How can people find me? You can find me on LinkedIn. I don't have a website, which maybe I should start to look into. Um, yeah. And if you're interested, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn and we can chat about any and everything. I'm always excited to talk to people. Carisha, on one side, sad to see you go. On the other side, thrilled that your journey at Owella has led you to something that you're excited about and you're going to absolutely crush and you've got the right, I think you have the right approach to things. And this isn't goodbye. It's just, I'll see you, uh, I'll see you soon. Yeah. Thanks, George. It's been a pleasure. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to Greg Thomas Music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 